chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, says, David spares Saul's life. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for all you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. When these, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. In verse 8, then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked up behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your eyes how the Lord has delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be judged and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me and deliver me from your hand. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off any of my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. 
say our scripture declaration. Lord, we honor your, your word, word to, to us. us. May your, your truth, truth become, become our heart's pursuit present. and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, as Pastor Randy comes forward, give him the words that you've laid on his heart to share with us today. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. Miss the teenagers to go on back. And those of you who are in here, thank you for being a part of things already and up to this point. But I'm going to go ahead and have y'all go on back with Eric. Y'all enjoy your class. And uh, the rest of you, you are here with me. And uh, we are going to be referring back to and talking through this passage of scripture from 1 Samuel. Uh, so if you don't mind, just kind of keep your Bibles open there. You can see it and uh, you can kind of follow along and read some of the scriptures that we're going to be referring to. I want to start with a story about a decision that I made. Um, now, let's go ahead and go to our next slide real quickly. How many of you guys know anything about this particular grill? It's a Traeger grill. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Any of y'all know? Is it just me? Okay. Well, if you do know a little bit about a Traeger grill, you know that they ain't cheap, right? They're, they're not cheap. But do you guys see that little box on the left-hand side there? That is something that they call an automatic feed. And so if you don't know what that means, it basically means this. I can put something in that grill and I can set it like it's an oven, but it's going to come out tasting like it's been on the grill because it literally has, but it is something that uh, kind of continuously feeds the fuel for the fire and that kind of thing. Are you guys with me? Are you all following along? So it's an expensive grill, but it is also almost idiot proof, which I ain't going to lie, I need something that's kind of idiot proof because... Other people sneak in. You know what I'm saying? All right. So, yes. Anyway, as I say, it's almost an idiot-proof grill, and it is something that turns out amazing, amazing food. Now, hit a pause button. You'll see where I'm going with this in just a second. How many of you guys have ever been to the Houston Livestock and Rodeo Show? Anybody in here? Isn't that great? I love it. It's so cool. I love that particular thing, and um, I also... Every single year, kind of let my inner cowboy out. You know, I tell Shelly, hey, why are we not having like wood all over the wall? And why am I not wearing a cowboy hat every day? And, you know, like, why do we not have leather furniture all throughout the house, you know? And then I go and I look at the tags on the prices. I'm like, now I know why, <laughs> right? So, yeah, you know how that goes. Well, I'm at the Houston Livestock Rodeo Show, and as I'm passing through... I pass by the Traeger wood pellet grill spot. Now, I want you guys to know real quickly, a Traeger wood pellet grill usually runs somewhere between $1,000 and maybe $1,500. I know someone's going to go, no, 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 I found them for less. Okay, that's fine. I get it. But most of the time, they're really expensive. Now, I have wanted one for a while. There's nothing wrong with spending money that you've earned or anything like that. And I want to be very clear, this is just the decision that I made. But here's what happened. I went and I kind of got pulled in and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I opened the grill and there was like sunbeams coming out and there were also angel voices coming out. And Shelly started talking, you know, all kinds of sexy to me. I mean, since the kids are gone, you know, she's like, I bet you'd smell like smoke after you got through with it. And I'm like, girl. 
that's sexy talk to me because I have a bad relationship with food. I, I think it's good, but it's probably not the healthiest relationship you've ever seen in your life. Anyway, so the Traeger grill was right there. I'm ready to buy it. I'm literally going to buy it. And the guy, the, sta- the salesperson makes this statement. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, you should have my guy over here help you out because uh, he, his last name is Traeger. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm going to buy a Traeger grill that I've wanted for a decade, and I'm going to buy it from the family namesake, Traeger. And I'm like, this is God. He's just giving me this opportunity. And so the guy walks over there, and he's got this sheepish grin on his face. And I was like, that's really cool. Your, your last name is Traeger. And he goes, no, it's not, not really. That guy was just kind of telling you something that wasn't true. It's just like somebody popped my balloon. It was just like, I was just deflating. I was like, ah, what am I going to do? And so I literally told the guy, I said, well, I'll tell you what. We've got to go and meet my daughter. My daughter, Tori, uh, was in town at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo show to watch a concert that I had zero interest in being a part of, but we did want to hang out with her, and so she's about to leave. I left with Shelly, left the booth. I, like, detached myself from it. It was not easy, but I walked away, and as we're walking along... Shelly and I started talking, and we're like, that wasn't really cool, was it? It's like, no, it wasn't. And so we started talking and chatting, and the more we talked and chatted, the more we realized that even though when we left that booth, our intention was to go back, put it on a monthly pay, and do that whole thing that you do, we were not going to do that in large part because we had been lied to about something. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So here's an interesting little twist to this whole thing. The very next day is when the pandemic hit and the world shut down. So we're there on March 14th, 2020. March 15th is when they announced that there was no more Houston Livestock and Rodeo show for a little while anyway. And we know how that whole thing started out a couple of weeks and ended up being a couple of years, right? And I'm going to tell you something. If you guys remember in the first days of the pandemic, it was scary business. Like we did not know what was going to happen to the markets. We did not know what was going to happen to the U.S. dollar. We did not know if any of us were going to have jobs, right? Do you guys remember? Scary business. And a grill that admittedly would have been a luxury item for me to choose I thank God that I did not have to worry one more thing about a grill that I probably didn't need. And, and, and hey, I'm not talking about Traeger. And by the way, if you got a Traeger, y'all invite me over. I'll judge your meat. I mean, it's good. I'm ready for it. But I'm just saying at that moment, I was like, thank you, Lord, that there was some kind of stop that kept me from buying something that probably would have felt like a millstone around my neck. Do you guys understand where I'm coming from? Okay. Here's what I feel. Today, this is important because we're going to be talking about this stuff having to do with decisions, and I want to be very clear. I would not have been committing a sin had I bought the grill. 
I did not commit a sin when I didn't buy the grill. It's just a decision, but it's one that I'm grateful that there was a kind of, I heard a, I heard a, a close friend of mine named Karen Ferguson that used to call that a check in her spirit. In other words, a, a pause that God has given you that something just doesn't feel right, it's a little unsettled. And so you kind of step back instead of stepping in, if that makes sense. How many of you guys are still with me? Y'all don't understand what I'm talking about here? Okay, so this is not to judge you. It's not to judge anything that's going on in your life. And we talked a little bit about this, three things that we have to agree on right off the bat. And I had these up here, I believe, uh, the three things that we're going to agree on if we talk about that. Oh, yeah, let's do the two commitments to make. This is something that we're going to be talking about all throughout today's message. And this is from Andy Stanley in the book, and we're talking more about that in just a moment. But this is one of the commitments. I will pause even when I cannot pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. That's what I did. I couldn't quite pinpoint it, but then later I realized what was going on. And then the second commitment is I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. These two things, two decisions that you make here will help you to make better decisions and lead to fewer regrets. Now, let's talk about those three things that we've got to agree on. Here it is. Our decisions are the steering wheel for the direction and the destinations of our lives. We all really probably don't think about it nearly enough, but it is true. Secondly, the lesson is universal truth, not for any one person specifically, even if we get specific. I promise you, I'm not coming at you. Anything that we talk about that feels a little specific is specific for a reason, and that specific reason is that if we make it specific, and yes, I've said specific a number of times, here's the deal. If I make it specific, it will feel a lot more personal and powerful and actually help you to reconsider the things that you're choosing to do, but it's not personal. It's not one or two or three. It's a universal truth. And then fourthly, you and I must do work to overcome the way that you and I allow you and I to persuade you and I. This is just a truth. We tell ourselves things that we know are not true. In that moment that I was talking about it, I didn't actually need the grill, but I promise you, y'all know, y'all know what that conversation was like, don't you? Oh, Shelly, think how many times I'm going to grill. I'm probably going to grill 362 days out of 365 if you buy me this grill, right? How many of y'all know that was a lie, right? It's just a lie. It's probably what I intended, but not what I was going to actually follow through. You see what I'm saying? You see, I can convince me of doing things that I probably would never be able to convince other people to do because it's me talking to me. And I love the way that I talk to me because it just always hits just right. Do any of y'all understand? Okay, so as we keep moving here, these are the things that we agree on. And this is Andy Stanley, pastor, author, son of Dr. Charles Stanley, and the great book that he has written called Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. You can get it on Audible. It is worth your time and worth the read. It's only about four hours, but it literally can change your life and your legacy. My wife loves it. Um, other people have given me some great feedback. Frank Smith is a big fan as well. You can talk to him if you're interested. Um, but yeah, I'm telling you, it is a great book. Let's keep moving here. Today, don't miss this. Even if we choose to make great decisions, there are many times in your life the decisions will be made for you. So I got done last week as I was speaking and talking about decisions and making better decisions and fewer regrets. And one of you came to me and you talked with me and you said, hey, there's something that I'm wrestling with. And I was like, okay, well, what is that? He said, each time you talk about this stuff, uh, 
I do believe what you're saying, and I do know that it is true. But I also realize that a lot of the things that have happened in my own life have not been as a result of my decisions, but they've been as a result of somebody else's decision that affected me. How many of you guys understand what, what this person was saying and sharing with me? I won't tell you who that was, but his name rhymes with Joseph Porter. So Joseph, yeah, there you go. All right, very good. I mean, well, now you know. But Joe and I had a great conversation. At the end of it, he's like, you know, that stuff happened to me. I couldn't choose it. I couldn't even make good decisions to get my way out of it. And I said, Joe, next week I'm going to talk about that. Because think about this for just a second. How many times has this happened to you where somebody made a decision and it affected the course of your life? Have you all had that happen to you before? What about this? You know what? We're not going to have that position available anymore. We're doing away with that position. You're like, this is terrible because that happens to be the position that I hold, <laughs> right? So it wasn't anything that you did. It's just the, the change that's happening the, the pandemic is a perfect example. It happened to all of us. And it wasn't anything that we chose. It just happened, and then we were left to deal with the fallout. So here is what I will share with you. If we all agree that that's how life is and how it happens, then here's what I would say. I believe that decisions have a multiplying effect, that as the ripples go out from the one drop in the water, they get larger and larger and larger going out. The effects get larger and larger and larger going out. So if we already agree that there are decisions that will not be made by us but will still ripple out and affect us, we had best do the ones that we can actually control as well as we possibly can. Otherwise, we will have a magnified effect um, bad decisions that are made for us and the bad decisions that we are making, it can be a cacophony. Uh, that's a big, dollar, a big word there, but it is like a symphony of bad that is hitting you and happening to you. So let's talk today a little bit. Let's go to our next slide. And do you remember last week, Joseph, all of these great decisions that he made and yet he was still in the pit and all these great decisions that he made, and he was still being pursued by Mrs. Potiphar. All of the great decisions that he made, and he still ended up in jail. He even helped people while he was in jail, and he still ended up in jail because they made a bad decision and choice. But here is what I would say, and this is what is incredibly encouraging. There is a Romans 8:28 principle, and this applies to us as Christians, but there is no such guarantee for those who are outside of the faith. In Romans 8, 28, you may know what it says. It says, we know that all things work together for the good to those that love the Lord and those that are the called according to his purpose. And so in your life, even when something bad is intended for you, you have that ripple coming out at you, and yet God is going to turn it for your good in some way. doesn't mean it will be easy. It just simply means it will be something that accomplishes God's will and his purposes in your life. And that's what Joseph said. Not this Joseph, but the Joseph with the coat of many colors. The, the, I didn't even know about that, man. I'm, I'm confusing myself here, and I was in the conversation, right? So here is the truth. The Joseph who had the coat of many colors said to his brothers, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for, do you remember? Good. 
for the salvation of many lives. And so for you and for me, we need to grasp and understand that there will be decisions that are made that affect us by other people. We had best make the ones that we can choose to be the very best that we can as much as we often have the opportunity. So very quickly, let's talk about a couple of something to learns. These are things that we've already talked through. We've heard of confirmation bias. That's the unconscious habit of noticing information that proves me right and dismissing what proves me wrong. And then we have focalism, that point of focusing in so much on one part of the equation and decision that we dismiss all other information that does not agree. These things... You may say, I don't have them. I'm here to beg to differ. You have them. I have them. This is part of the human condition. This is what we do. This is how we act and how we do these things naturally. It's hard to get out of this habit, but it can be done. This is the next something to learn that I want to share with you. The fallacy of origins. That is disregarding good information that originated from a source that we do not respect or want to give credence to, especially if and when they make us feel tension about the decision that we make. How many of you ever had this happen? Somebody that you don't like tells you something that turns out to be true and it just makes you so mad, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? And you probably heard them and thought, that sounds like good advice, but I hate that guy. (laughs) I don't want to hear what he has to say. How dare he say something to me? Have you seen his life? Come on. Like he wants to say something to me. Oh, is it just me that sounds like that inside my head? All right, some of y'all are laughing. Some of y'all are looking at me with judgmental eyes, and I'm going to be praying for you. Um, How could she say that? How could he say that to me? So where the source originates, where the words that, where they come from affect us in a different way. Have you ever noticed that happens a lot? What your sweet loving spouse says to you versus what somebody that you don't like says to you. They might say the same words in the same exact way and they feel very, very different, don't they? So here's what we know. The fallacy of origins, the confirmation bias, the focalism, all of these things are ganging up on you and me. This is the way that we are built as human beings. We probably don't have a lot of hope to make really good choices and good decisions on a frequent basis unless two things. One, we are very intentional. And two, we are listening to the voice of God that wants to lead us down the path that is accomplishing his purpose. I'm going to keep moving here, but we'll talk more and go deeper in this. Five types of questions to ask today. We're going to be talking about the conscious que- conscience question. There's the integrity, legacy, conscience question, the maturity question next week, and then the relationship question. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm going to forget to tell y'all, and y'all might actually hear it on Facebook, but y'all know I'm going to be a granddad. I found out the gender. All right, on the count of three, you guys guess, okay? Ready? One, two, three. What? (laughs) How many of you say boy? Let me see your hands. How many of you say girl because that's what happens to you, Randy? Well, here's what I know. It's going to be a boy. (laughs) Finally. And if you thought I waited all this time to wrestle somebody, ask my girls how it was when they were toddlers, because, man, I didn't care. I did not care. 
Okay, so very quickly, the five types of questions, you got to be intentional and you ask yourself, what's my conscience telling me? And then this question, you can basically just say, is there a tension that deserves my attention? That's the one we're talking about this week. Last week and the week before are up there. Am I being honest with myself? Really? What story do I want to tell from this point forward in my life? And then the third one, is there a tension that deserves my attention? That's where we're studying and talking about today. And think about, let's go back, let's rewind just a little bit about that story that Eric read from 1 Samuel chapter 24. Man, don't you love how the Bible is so real? It's just so real. Did you guys catch what was, did, did it freak you out a little bit when you heard that the story revolved around King Saul needing to go to the bathroom in the middle of a cave? Did that freak you out a little bit? Yeah. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It's real life with real people who really go to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom. All the crazy things that we think are modern phenomenon. No, they're in the scriptures. And so when Saul is searching for David, he's, he's in this place called En Gedi. And according to those who have been there and know a little bit about it, En Gedi has literally thousands of small caves in these hills. It's just hills and caves everywhere you look. But in God's divine providence, Saul goes into this cave with the 3,000 men that are searching for David and his mighty men that are with him. Probably a band of somewhere between 50 and maybe 250 people, something like that. And so they are all in the back of this larger cave and they're hidden back to the very back part of the cave. Saul walks in far enough to find some privacy. I mean, let's be honest, that's all he's there for. He's not there to look around. He's there to have privacy, use the restroom, and then keep moving, finding David. And in the process of it, you can even imagine going in from the sun and not being able to see very well. But David and his men in the rear part of the cave, ready to see all that's going on. They can see Saul silhouetted like, I can't believe he's coming into this cave. And of course, if you're the king, you're not going to have somebody right there next to you. Hey, guard the front of the cave. Make sure nobody comes in here. I need some privacy. So he goes back there and he disrobes a little bit. And then, like all of us, he picks up his cell phone, starts looking at his mentions on social media while he's... <laughs> yeah, ne never mind. All right. So anyway, as he's there in the cave with part of his garment apart from him, David sneaks up and he's right there and he literally has a dagger in his hands and Saul at his literal most vulnerable moment. Can you guys all see it in your mind's eye? It's incredible. His friends whisper to him and say, hey, David, this is the day. This is that day that God promised would one day come where you would have your enemies in your hands to choose to do with them whatever you choose. This is that day. For all intents and purposes, his friends and his his sidekicks and his cohorts and his men are telling him, today's the day, David. Kill him and ascend the throne. You've already been anointed. You're the guy. We all know it. Israel all knows it. Saul is a crazy man. He's seeking to kill you, even though you've been his most trusted general. All of this stuff is happening. David, today is the day we end the foolishness 
God has given him into your hands. He brought him into this cave, for goodness sakes, out of the thousands that are here. Here he is. Let's end this and let's ascend the throne. Now, pause for just a second. Does that all make sense? It all makes sense. It all sounds like good advice, doesn't it? But does David do that? You heard Eric's words. You heard what he was reading. He creeps over and he takes the garment and he cuts a corner of the robe off instead of killing Saul. And in the process of all of that, he makes a decision not to act in his own self-interest, but instead to act according to God's standards. Even when everybody around him is telling him, now's your time, take what is yours. Now, very quickly, this is the big idea that I want to talk about today and been talking about. We pay attention to the tension when you make decisions both big and small. If something goes against your conscience, you pause. If something makes you feel unsettled in your spirit, you wait. If some godly counsel hasn't yet been sought, you seek it. You start making better decisions when you stop going against your conscience, when you stop doing things that make you feel unsettled, when you stop doing things that are without godly counsel. And can I just say, I mean, it's so important and so... <laughs> it's so easy for us not to do this, but yet it's so important that we choose to make the right decisions in the right way. So very quickly, pay attention to the tension when you make decisions both big and small. Can we say that aloud together? Ready? One, two, three. Pay attention to the tension when you make decisions both big and small. They're not always going to be sin versus not sin. Sometimes it's just a good thing that God is trying to keep you from, but he's keeping you unsettled. And instead of plowing through, if you will wait and pay attention to the tension, it will help you to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. Let's go to our next slide. Here's a tip. When confronted with anything or anybody that has strong emotional appeal, press pause, press pause, not play. Strong emotional appeal should trigger a red flag, not a green light, according to Andy Stanley. And I think it is so true. I shared this with you last week. Let's go to our next slide as well. Uh, I told y'all this is Shelly's ex-boyfriend right here. Found him out on the internet. How many of you have ever done the whole dance at a car dealership? Have y'all ever had that happen? Whatever you do, if you start talking about leaving... What does, what does that person do? No, 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 whoa, 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 hold on. We haven't talked about this yet. Hey, tell me what you can afford as a monthly payment, and we'll get there one way or the other. Tell me what you need for your trade-in. I mean, y'all are like, Randy, I didn't realize you were a car salesman. I've dealt with enough of them to know that they're all having the same lines. You know why? Because here's what they will tell you. If you walk off the lot... All of the emotion of the decision of buying something brand new and shiny that smells like new car. Oh, what an awesome smell. All of that stuff gets broken and you are so much less likely to buy the car than you would be if you stay on that lot. If they can put you into a car today, 
<laughs> Another one of those lines, right? What's it going to take for me to put you into a car today, Mr. Puckett? I'm like, <laughs> you don't really want the answer. Um, you know, the truth is, is that they want you there because the minute that you walk off, then the likelihood of you buying goes down. Why? Why? Let's go to our next slide. Three huge unseen factors in the decisions that we make and sometimes regret our emotions, our appetites, and our time, both perceived and real. Now, I want to go back to David for just a moment, and let's go to our next slide here. David was anointed by Samuel. He was very young, approximately 15 years old, and he did not succeed Saul until about 15 years later. In between, he killed Goliath, became a legend to the Israelites, and had fighting men who came to his side against Saul. In other words, Lord, you're on the clock. You told me 15 years ago that I was going to be your king. Here I sit 12 years in, and nothing's changed. Here I sit 13 years in, and nothing's changed. Here I sit 14 years in and nothing's changed. Y'all don't hold me to the specifics, but do you guys see where I'm coming from? Now, put yourself back in that cave again. And again, you say with the men around you, today's the day. Today's the day for you. He's finally answered your prayer. And that thing that he anointed you that you were going to do, today's the day that you do this. The only thing that you got to do is just kill the man who's trying to kill you. Again, makes sense, doesn't it? Hard to kind of pull back from the reality of what you're dealing with. So David's perceived timeline was not God's. I have no doubt about that. How many of you have ever felt God was moving, doing something, but then it felt like it stalled out and you felt like God forgot the promise? I felt like God forgot the promise. He told me something would happen and it just isn't happening anymore. I guess he changed his mind or I missed the point. I'm sure David had to have thought that when he was avoiding Saul so he could live. Very quickly, another Andy Stanley quote, very uh, good one here. Um, let's go, uh, no, no, let's stay right there. This is what I've already been referring to David's men speaking to him. Do you guys remember last week when we talked about Joseph being thrown in the pit and there was a one brother named Reuben who was trying to intervene and make sure he didn't get killed out there on the plane, threw him in the well instead. You guys remember that? And remember what I told you last week? This is what Andy Stanley said in the book. He said, there's always a Reuben around, but usually her voice is quieter than most. There's always a Reuben around, but he is not yelling the great advice. He's whispering it. And so if you're not seeking for it, you probably won't find it. Here's what I would say. <clears throat> If you haven't found a Reuben in your life, find a Reuben in your life. Somebody who will give you good advice that you will walk down the right path and go to them consistently. Good, bad, big, small, all the decisions that you face, let them be your godly counsel and others like them that will help you to understand what's going on. Now, very quickly... There is something that you might miss because we don't grasp and understand what's going on for David. 
he's there. He's got the opportunity. He's got the dagger. He's got the man that needs to die in order for him to have God's place for him. Like, it's all right there in front of him. He does not know that he is this close. He's already done most of the hard work. He's already gotten past most of the difficult days. And so he can kill the man or he can wait and let God handle it. One happens today and one happens later and we just don't know. And the men around him are saying, do it today. Why? Because if you don't, you'll never have another chance and God's clearly not involved. God clearly has forgotten what he promised you. Here's what I say. For most of us, this is important. We think we can predict the future, what will and will not happen. We just do. Now, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to prove it to you real quickly. How many of you have ever felt the phenomenon of being disappointed? Every one of us. Do you know what disappointment is? All the disappointment is, is that you expected something to happen, and it did not. Period. So you thought you had the future figured out to the point of where you could put your hopes up and get emotionally invested in what was going to happen, and then it didn't, and you got disappointed. And when that happened, do you realize The only problem here is that you and I thought we knew what was coming. And so we had to act accordingly in this moment. Now, again, I back up to last week. And do you remember how I said the brothers had to be liars for life? They had to be liars for life. Joseph died. Dad, I know it's breaking your heart and you're crying. And you're still crying a decade later. But I'm telling you, Joseph is no more and I'm sorry but they were lying the entire time. They were liars for life until Joseph showed up alive. Now, stop and think about the story. Granddad David, Granddaddy David, tell us how you became king. Well, so there was a cave, okay? And nature called for my predecessor, okay? Like, do you want to tell that story to your kids for the rest of your life? I became king by killing a man while he was trying to use the bathroom in a cave. Do you see where I'm going with this? Most of us don't think about the story that we will have to tell or hide. And so we don't make the decisions that we should. But here's what is beautiful. That the Holy Spirit stops us and in that moment... The Bible says that David was conscience-stricken. He started thinking about, I shouldn't do this. One day, I'm going to be this man that's right here before me. I'm going to be the king, and I don't want somebody sneaking up behind me, putting a dagger in my neck because I just didn't have people with me 24-7, 365. Every single moment of every single day. So I'm not going to be that man if I don't want to encounter that man. Oh, there's just so much. Don't miss this. Let's go to this don't miss this very quickly. We make bad decisions in the heat of the moment when we think we know the inevitable outcome, but we actually don't, do we? We do not. So here's what I know. 
every time I think I know what's going on and I have to act right now, I need to just slow down and realize that God's got a plan and I don't have to do it right now. Even when it feels like I got to do it right now, this chance will never come again. Because how many of you have had that experience where what you knew never would happen to you, you got something pretty much the same later or even better later and it came back around and you couldn't hardly believe the once in a lifetime came twice. You see, God provides good things and prevents bad things in his children's life. Not always, but it is so important that we grasp and understand. We don't really know what's happening in the inevitable. All right, let's keep moving here very quickly. I know my time is just about done. Three things that David considered. I'm going to hit these very quickly. He considered his spirit. For us, it's the Holy Spirit. Let's go to our next slide. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, David was conscience-stricken. The Bible tells us that if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, he is our guide and our counselor. He is the one who helps us to make good decisions and go down good paths. And so we understand this is what David, do, what David is doing and what is still available for us. Let's go to this next slide. What begins as an uneasy feeling is often later supported later by reason, information, and insight. But if you don't pause, you will never see it. How many of you have had that experience where you thought, oh, I got to, you chose not to, and then later you were glad you did not because that uneasy feeling played out just kind of like my Traeger grill, right? It happens. So just pause. Pay attention to the tension. Let's keep moving. The three things that David considered, first his spirit and then his story. He did not want to be a liar for life. And then the next slide here in John chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Can you guys read this bolded part here at the end with me? And he will tell you what is yet to come. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but guess what? You know who holds tomorrow, as the old song says. And so God is leading if you will let him lead. Oftentimes, it's a very small voice that's telling you to hit pause, not press forward. Let's keep moving. Thirdly, he considered his standards. He did not want to be the guy who lived a life according to a set of standards that he would not be able to say, this is how you live a life. It's so important for us. So many of us are not living according to the standards that we believe. And so I just encourage us to make a decision that puts us in line with what we say we believe. Now, Saul's words, I want you guys to hear this, and then we're going to kind of close and wrap this up. When David finished saying this stuff about, hey, Saul, check out this corner of your robe that I have right here in my hand. When David finished saying all that. Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. So David and Saul are surrounded by probably 3,000 to 3,500 men. And it's, it's like a movie happening in the middle of this wilderness area. And the king is crying and shouting out these words where 3,500 of the most important men in his life can hear what's being said. You are more righteous than I am. 
he said. May the Lord reward you well for the way that you have treated me today. And I know that surely you will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm David, that is more than I could have ever hoped for or hoped to hear. My enemy who wants my head on a platter is basically professing before everybody, you're a better man than me, and I already know what's going to happen. When I'm gone, you will be the king, and you're going to establish this thing the way God wants it to be established. I can't, you will. It's thorough, isn't it? I mean, it is just top to bottom, front to back. It is everything praising David and humbling himself. Saul's words, incredible. Here's how we apply this message, and then we'll, we'll hear just a short section of the book. When you fear the, feel the Spirit of God moving in you, pay attention to the tension. If something is going against your conscience, stop. If you're feeling unsettled about something, you don't have to decide today. If you have not sought godly counsel from somebody that you know makes good decisions, ask them. Be honest and let them guide you and pay attention to what they have to say. These things are all available for all of us. And here's what is beautiful. Our Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit that lives within us is trying to push us in a path where we go down the right one. And so I encourage you, pay attention to the tension that happens in your life. Let's check out this short video. If there's something in you, if there's something you can't put your finger on or perhaps something someone else has put their finger on that bothers you about an option you're considering, pause and pay attention to that tension. That tension may very well be God's way of protecting you. It may be his way of waving you off from a decision you'll later regret. Every time you make a decision, especially a decision that takes you by surprise, like David's decision, ask yourself, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Don't ignore it. Don't brush by it. Don't rush by it. Let it bother you until you know why it bothers you. At the end of chapters one and two, I challenged you to make specific commitments related to each of our first two questions. As we close this chapter, here are two additional commitments I highly encourage you to consider. Decision number three, the conscience decision. I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation and I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. So one last time, is there a tension that deserves your attention? If so, pay attention to that tension. That's a decision you will never regret. Thank you all so much for your time and for your attention. I encourage you guys, as you go throughout this week, pay attention to the tension 
uh, in anything that is going on as far as those decisions that you make, whether it's something that you say, uh, a big decision or a small one. I hope that you will pay attention to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life and watch how your decisions get better and better and you live with fewer regrets. May God bless you guys. Love y'all. Y'all have a great week, and we're going to end the way that we always do, and you guys can say it right along with me. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great week. Take care.